How's harvest for you? Coping with the weather? What about the criminals? Yes, with harvest underway, we know what follows. So what we ask for nationally at the NFU is a consistent and coordinated approach across all police forces so criminals don't look for soft targets in other rural areas. That's seen by the forces and they see that when we work together here and have a common goal that we get a common result. This week on the programme we return to the issue of hair coursing and rural crime in general. Plus later, a summer update from the Rare Breed Survival Trust. Some of the breeds that you, you traditionally would see as rare will come off the list, like breeds like the Hebridean sheep and the Jacob have already come off years ago. So once you're rare, it doesn't mean you're always rare. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Harvest 19 is well underway and already the first hair courses of the season have been reported, particularly in the Suffolk area. As the crops disappear, those involved in the illegal sport seem to think the fields are theirs for the taking. Uh, We've discussed before the work that's been done in Lincolnshire to tackle the problem. Are other parts of the country taking it as seriously, though? Sam Durham is the Chief Land Management Advisor at the National Farmers Union. What we find is is Lincolnshire have really addressed the problems and yet it is patchy across the country Um, and possibly by Lincolnshire doing good work on rural crime it's displacing some of that activity into neighbouring counties Um, so what we ask for nationally at the NFU is a consistent and coordinated approach across all police forces so criminals don't look for soft targets in other rural areas that is the problem isn't it particularly think of hair coursing you know it's it's really being tackled in this part of the world but as you say neighbouring forces neighbouring counties are seeing an increase in problems because the hair coursers know we won't go to Lincolnshire or we'll go to Cambridge or somewhere else Certainly, yeah, and that's what I know Lincolnshire Police are leading a national project on hair coursing um, and they've got the 12 forces together that have most hair coursing incidents across the country um, and they are looking to coordinate that and we're really pleased that that is happening um, and we'd like to see that on other criminal activity like mach- theft of machinery, theft of livestock, fly tipping, all those issues that affect farming communities in Lincolnshire um, need to be coordinated across the country really. Is it being t- taken seriously enough at, at national level? You know, it's almost, is it, or is it on the list of things that are being forgotten because of Brexit? Um, I think there's a, yeah, there's a long list of things that are forgotten because of Brexit. Um, I think it is, yeah. I think um, a lot of uh, government ministers uh, represent urban constituencies. They don't always think about rural areas. Um, and on the face of it, rural crime doesn't look to be high-value crime, so they don't take it seriously. But it does have devastating impacts on rural communities. Is there a fear at the NFU that uh, you know we see budgets being cut? I know Lincolnshire Police have been worried about their funding in, in future years, that the first thing that may go may be the rural crime that they concentrate their efforts back into urban areas uh, that's our concern and we, we know we've gone through austerity and police numbers have declined um, but that's why the, at the NFU we want to try and be proactive and help the police where we can. Farmers traditionally work very well with the police and we want to help out where we can. We've recently set up a, a service of Crime Stoppers where we help, help uh, people to report crime and provide information about crime um, so we want to try and work with the police understanding that their budgets have been slashed as well. Well, that's Sam Durham, Chief Land Management Advisor at the NFU. A bit more from Sam a little later. First, Gordon Corner, who's East Midlands Regional Director at the NFU. He's been watching what Lincolnshire Police have been doing about rural crime very carefully in the hope that others will follow. I think talking about the um, Lincolnshire Police, the Chief Constable and I joined on the same day and we've worked very closely together and I think that that 
that is seen through through his leadership uh, and the things that we do in the NFU uh, in Lincolnshire uh, and, and the results we've seen have been fantastic. Um, and everyone talks about that. It's, it's well seen. And interestingly, that's seen by the forces. And they see that when we work together here and, and have a common goal, that we get a common result. And, and Lincolnshire Police are leading that, which is great. I think in the rest of East Midlands, we've got a very strong police liaison and working together in Nottinghamshire, Derbyshire um, and in the other counties and we've learned that from what we do with Lincolnshire so it's good um, does it spread crime elsewhere? then I suspect it probably does um, and I know we have had some complaints from forces outside East Midlands about hair coursing and that but now the police are starting to talk together which Craig Naylor um, has instigated you know, things are improving and of course, you know, we are almost at harvest again. Hair coursing will again become a problem, won't it? It, it will, but I mean, if you're sending the message out there that if you put hair course, you're going to get prosecuted, you're going to get a fairly hefty fine, which is the issue we need to try and work on, um, then that's a deterrent. And fly tipping as well, you know, we, we all drive down country roads now and you see it in almost every lay-by or every corner of farm gate that there is piles of rubbish now. Yes, I mean, I, I, I despair because it is dreadful. And, and in, in certain counties, the, the council tip sites are open and they take, you know, waste and things like that. So why on earth they can't go there, I don't know. I mean, I had some um, not far from where I live, literally not far, about 200 yards, um, which was 20 bags, interestingly, of um, marijuana roots that had been dumped there. <laughs> slightly different yes definitely it is amazing what's dumped out there but it is a growing problem and of course the burden falls on on farmers doesn't it to to, to clear it and they can end up paying for it it, it does but it, it farmers do pay for it when it's dumped on their land and the councils pay for it when it's on the grass verges so it, it, this is a good thing to work together to stop it um and, and you know it is far worse in other parts of the country um on the industrial basis uh, and in, interestingly in nottinghamshire north nottinghamshire it's not even dumped on the side of the road, it's dumped on the middle of the road, um, and I've seen that several times. Gordon Corner of the NFU reminding us that, of course, it's not just hair coursing that's a problem when it comes to rural crime. Thanks, Gordon. On to our uh, agronomist, Sean Sparling, then. Morning, Sean. What should we uh, start with this week? Um, uh, do you want to mention the weather? Yes, morning, Sean. Well, of course we're going to talk about the weather. We've done it every week for the last 25 years. I don't see why we should change a winning formula. <laughs> okay. So let's just start with the crops we're still involved with. We're still putting things on. Let's start with sugar beet. The first signs of rust started to show up this week. In these conditions, it was almost inevitable. So we are pushing into the first fungicide part of the season on sugar beet. But take the opportunity to correct the nutrient deficiencies out there at the same time. There are some very cheap options. So manganese, bitter salt very cheap way of correcting the nutrient deficiency of those deficiencies within the field. Manganese deficiency you tend to get an overall paling, intervenal corrosis, yellowing of the leaf. They can go very starey and upright. They can also go very floppy but that could be more to do with the heat that we're seeing. Magnesium you tend to get a brown edge to the leaf, intervenal corrosis and yellowing at the outside edges of the leaf and in there there'll be brown and black spots. That'll be magnesium deficiency. Five kilos of bitter salts will cost you pence but 
but it will solve that problem almost overnight. Nitrogen deficiency is very widespread where the new growth is coming out green, the older growth is a paler green, yellower colour. That'll be nitrogen deficiency. The opposite is true of the symptoms of sulf deficiency. So you'll get the new growth coming out pale green and yellow and the older leaves remain dark green. So understand what you are dealing with in the field and treat accordingly. There's no point blanket bombing it with every single nutrient in every single mix every time you go through, just in the vain hope that one of the things in there will solve the problem. Identify the problem and deal with the problem you face with. Don't just hit it with everything for the sake of doing it to save yourself putting yourself out and looking at the problem. Speak to your advisor, let them tell you what the problem is and deal with that accordingly. A straw-based fungicide will help that crop scavenge for nitrogen. You get a physiological green-up from using a straw anyway. So over the course of the next couple of weeks, that's probably the time to start dealing with these problems. Also remember that salt, if you're using salt as a herbicide, as a desiccant on volunteer potatoes if you like, it'll dry them out and dehydrate them. It does the same with willowweed, red shank, pale persicaria on a hot, hot sunny day. If you put salt on a field at a lower rate, it will act as a foliar feed because salt is a tonic to sugar beet, which is an estuarine plant, and it will respond to it. Uh, potatoes, maintain those blight intervals. This is perfect blight weather. You should now be using a 7 to 10 day interval and you should be using some of the products which are more suited to this end of the season and the blight risk that it brings. We're seeing some anomalies out there. You can find alternaria, blackleg, you can find all sorts of things in the field. So maintain those intervals and maintain the nutrient levels as well because it goes without saying that a healthy crop which is up to date and everything is right in terms of nutrient is going to withstand the onslaught of disease a lot better. A healthy person withstands an illness a lot better than a poorly person before you start. So again in potatoes, make sure you're keeping the nutrient levels up. There's potash deficiency visible, phosphorus deficiency, manganese, magnesium, all of those things. Again, know what you're dealing with and treat it in with the blight fungicides and maintain those intervals in these conditions. Linseed, romping away towards harvest really. It's gone out of flower now. It's motoring. You don't even consider putting anything on to desiccate linseed until the seeds are a milky tea colour and the stem is brown for about four inches or five inches below the bowl itself. So that's a while away yet. Beans, same thing with beans. You don't desiccate beans until the majority of the pods are black. So we're away away from that yet. As I cut the pods open at the moment, I can find some brookid effect down in the bottom pods, which would be the first flowers at the very early start of the season. But as you cut the bean pods open all the way up the stem, there's very little activity. So fingers crossed, it hasn't been as bad a brookid year as last year. But again, we won't really know that until we start the combines rolling. Peas, desiccation well underway now in pea crop. If you're using glyphosate, you have to wait for 30% moisture. If you're using diquat, you can go up 45% moisture. But as a rule of thumb, look at the pods themselves, top, middle and bottom. The top pods will still be green. The peas will be quite soft. They will split if you squeeze them. The middle pods will be more pitted and starting to silver a little. The peas in there will be very rubbery and quite hard and really resist splitting. The bottom pods will be papery thin, parchment-like, white, and the peas in there will be very hard. That's pretty much a rule of thumb as to the stage you need to be at in order to get your pre-harvest treatments on. 
So then we move on to the crops, which we're not doing anything about yet because they're, they're still on their way to harvest. So winter wheat is moving quickly now. Spring barley is moving quickly now. I think we'll be in some of these wheats before we're in these spring barleys because they're just holding on. Testament to the season again. No rain till the end of May. A lot of rain in June. All these crops of spring barley sucked up all the nitrogen. They're still hanging on green. Yes, they're bleached on the top. Yes, they're bleached from the orange. But that's as a consequence of hot temperatures and high winds and intense sunlight. There's still a long way to go on these barley crops. A long way indeed. Thank you, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Let's return to my chat with Sam Durham, the Chief Land Management Advisor at the NFU. You might remember earlier this year the row over the sudden revocation of certain licences for shooting wild birds on farms. Well, Sam was heavily involved in fighting to get that sorted. So where are we on the issue now? Currently, DEFRA have released some new licences, which are a lot better than the ones that um, they uh, produced earlier in the year. Um, But yeah, we're we're concerned about the whole process of the, that has run through by Natural England and by DEFRA um, and our main concern is, is farming. I know a lot of the gamekeeping organisations are also concerned about their ability to protect um, their, their livelihoods and their species but our, our main concern is whether farmers have um, the controls ready to protect themselves from pigeon damage um, on crops and crow damage to livestock. Um, at the moment that protection seems to be there um, but we're still reviewing the situation because it seems to change quite regularly as well. And certainly when the licences were first cut and when the change was made, it couldn't have been at a worse time, could it really? What with lambing and with the crops starting to, to actually emerge? Absolutely. It was a terrible time for farming, both for um, livestock farmers and uh, the the licence for pigeon control um, wasn't around for quite a while and we actually had to lobby over the Maybank holiday weekend to make sure something was available um, before that otherwise um, yeah a lot of crop more crop damage would have occurred. Do you think lessons have been learned that if they do this again make some changes again or have to react to the law or whatever it might be that they will think a bit more carefully next time? We hope so the whole process is being reviewed later this year uh, and we want to ensure that um, those in, uh, controls are still in place for members um, because I know there is push that um, a lot of wild bird species can't be controlled and we know the impact they do have on farming. Sam Durham again there at the NFU. Right on to the latest from Open Field. How are the markets? Jerome Fielder has the latest this week. Hi Sean. Well, it's finally cooled off a bit after record temperatures on Thursday which may have brought the wheat harvest forward although next week looks far from ideal with a lot of wet weather on the way. According to the BBC, the hottest temperature was in Cambridge at 38.1 degrees Celsius. Many farmers got stuck into their winter barley this week, with yields encouraging, although bushels were variable. Some oilseed rope has been cut, although there has been issues with immature seeds. Looking at the wheat markets then, futures drifted £1.05 and pence lower on the week for November 19 from the close on Friday 19th to the opening on Friday the 26th of July with limited bullish news firmer currency and harvest pressure Bojo is now in at number 10 and it seemed that this was, was already calculated into exchange rates as currency firmed I guess with a bit more certainty of the UK's future even if we are heading for a no deal The US and China have resumed hostilities masquerading under the guise of trade talks, with some talk of goodwill purchases of US products by China in the last week. A deal is unlikely in the near term, but it is a step in the right direction and buoys sentiment.
Currently, the market has positioned itself, trading at a surplus of wheat, and therefore we need to be export competitive. However, if we do have a surplus, prices are likely to be more affected by currency fluctuations, which are inevitable in the build-up to the 31st of October Brexit deadline. Mixed reports in Europe on both yield and quality. Reports from Germany suggest lower yields but better quality, and the Ukrainian crop has good volume and quality. There are, however, downgrades on the Russian crop, according to analysts. Eyes for the trade are on the USDA report on the 12th of August, as it may factor in the recent resurvey of US corn plantings. This is a hope for many of some bullish news. Looking at the barley, the barley harvest in East Anglia is 80% cut and approximately 60% cut in Lincolnshire, and yields are better than expected, particularly on heavier land. Bushels are variable. There is a barley export programme in place and prices are generally stronger depending on distance to a port, although currency again will swing things. Again to remind you, export sales are not being made post the 31st of October 2019 at the moment, and harvest pressure is affecting prices. Allseed rape, there is a lot of allseed rape to be cut, with some coming off with low moistures with the extreme temperatures on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Yields are unsurprisingly lower, although I'm hearing less issues of flea beetle in samples now. Do monitor moistures on oilseed rape, as under 60% rejections can occur at the crush. So inquire where your oilseed rape is destined to go, if it's a tad on the dry side. Now for your ex-farm values. Feed wheat is trading at £130 to £133 for harvest, and if you have any old crop left, it's trading at a similar level. Uh, going on forward to November 19, you're looking at 138 to £141 ex-farm, again, depending on location. Feed barley values are looking at £114 to £117, um, which has come off a little on the week due to currency. November values are £121 to £124. seed rate prices are £315 to £318 for harvest movement, with £325 to £328 for November movement. For any inquiries on grain marketing advice, please speak to your local Open Field Farm Business Manager. Thank you. Thanks, Jerome. That's Jerome Fielder there from Open Field. Right, let's get our summer update from the Rare Breed Survival Trust, shall we? They do such important work. I love hearing from them uh, every now and again just to see how that work is going. Ruth Dalton is the Northern Field Officer from the Trust. So how are things at the moment, Ruth? Things are looking really good for native breeds and rare breeds at the moment. So these breeds all evolved at a time when farming was quite traditional, when we didn't spend a lot on vet meds and we didn't pay a lot for feed. And actually that time has come round again. You know, people want low-input animals or finish off grass. So a lot of our native breeds of cattle and sheep are actually increasing in numbers and we're hoping that some of the breeds that you, you traditionally would see as rare will come off the list, like breeds like the Hebridean sheep and the Jacob have already come off years ago. So once you're rare, it doesn't mean you're always rare. No, and that is a good sign, isn't it? And that ideally, you know, we're stood in front of a list here of rare breeds. Ideally, you'd like that list to disappear. Or... Yeah, I'd like to be out of a job. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'd like them all to, be, all to be really commercially successful. So that's what we work towards. And obviously, every breed has qualities that make it very saleable, but it's about promoting those and getting them out to the right people. What's most critical at the moment? Most critical in terms of cattle are some of our dairy breeds. So the old-fashioned dairy breeds like the Northern Dairy Shorthorn, that was a dual-purpose animal in the day, would have a good beef calf. Um, and now, obviously, farming, especially dairy, is much more towards dairy or beef. 
Um, so they maybe just haven't had the promotion they need. In sheep, the Borrowray is still our rarest breed of sheep, although it's heading rapidly in the right direction on the watch list. That's a small hill breed from the Northern Isles of Scotland um, and finding increasing uh, numbers of people want them because they taste amazing and they've got nice fleece and they're relatively easy to handle um, so they're, they're gaining supporters all the time. And do you find as some are coming off the list or going up the list, others naturally therefore potentially going onto the list because obviously if farming moves in that direction something else is going to give? Yes, we do see that a little bit, although we haven't brought very many things onto the list recently, um, other than the Albion cattle. And Albions, also known as Blue Albions, were really caught between two stools because people didn't think they were native and hadn't survived the post-foot and mouth in 1967. We found evidence that they did and that they persisted the whole time. So it was kind of more technicality, that one, that they came on. But they are critically rare and they do need support. Um, in terms of some of our other breeds, you know, surprising breeds go up and down in the commercial world. So um, your Angus and Hereford are doing quite well at the moment, but a few years ago they were, were losing out to the Continentals. So, yes, we, we do monitor those breeds that aren't rare just to check that they're not dipping into rarity. Our part of the world, of course, has got the Lincoln Longwalls, has got the Lincoln Reds um, as well, both on yes. the list. Uh, are, they getting, are they getting better? I yeah. seem to be seeing a lot of lo- Longwalls, certainly. The Lincoln Longwalls are one I'm slightly concerned about because they've had a long, steady downward trajectory. So we are keeping an eye on them and we're working with the Breed Society to try and help them promote themselves better outside Lincolnshire because everybody in Lincolnshire knows what a Lincoln Longwall is. But if you go to different parts of the country, they've maybe just not spread out as much. The opposite is true of the Lincoln Red. Uh, We look after or or, you know pay attention to the original population of the Lincoln Red cattle. The commercial population isn't rare, but the original population is. Again, a fantastic Breed Society. We work really closely with them and in fact one of the bulls that we collected semen from for our gene bank has gone on to be a really successful bull in the breed full stop with sons topping the sales at sterling so you know these these breeds they may be low in number but it doesn't mean they're not commercially viable and of course we could all do our bit to help save these breeds can't we we could go to our butcher and just say i want to eat that meat you are absolutely dead right eat them to keep them you know especially with the pigs you know that's their primary purpose you cannot come up with another purpose for a pig Um, we do have to be asking for named breed meat and support your local farmer know your farmer you know i don't mind which breed you eat whether it's rare or native or whatever but know the person that produced it and support them because that's the only way they can keep going and finally how can people find out more about the trust you can go to our website rbst.org.uk and just google search rbst or rare breed survival trust give us a call we're a small team but we'll always help you out if we can Wise words, as always. That's Ruth Dalton at the Rare Breed Survival Trust. And we mentioned the Lincoln Longwalls. Well, the biggest show of Lincoln Longwalls in the world is on today. It's also England's largest village show, the Heckington Show, taking place. That rare breed proudly on display, giving you a chance to really find out more about it. Well worth a visit if you're in the area. Charles Pinchbeck is one of the show's organisers. It almost defies description, actually, because it's probably 10 or 12 different events that, in their own right, would be amazing events. But actually, one weekend a year, they're packed into a 30-acre field. There's country show favourites. We've got a massive Shire Horse entry this year. I was just talking to the Shire Horse Secretary. We've got over 40. It's nearly twice as many as they had at Lincolnshire Show. If you want to see Shire Horses, come to Heckington. Uh, All the farm animals, we've probably got the biggest show of Lincoln Longwall sheep in the world at Heckington this year. The longest runner being, I think it's going to be, might be 24 inches this year, you know, a new course record. But then so much for people to actually have a, yeah, have a go at. We have two big areas. We have a big heritage village, which in any other place will be an event its own right. Lots of interesting things. And it's not don't touch, it's come and have a go. We've got 
the activity zone, all sorts of things for people to try. So it succeeds, actually, because people will come because somebody's particularly interested in one thing, but actually there's something for the whole, the whole family. You know, everybody, all generations will come and have a really, really good time at Heckington Show. Thank you, Charles. Charles Pinchbeck there at the Heckington Show, day two, taking place today. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. That slow-moving weather front that uh, brought some heavy rain yesterday is still hanging over us, bringing further rain today. Temperatures uh, looking at 16, so nearly 20 degrees down on what they were on Thursday. The wind from the west, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Tomorrow, it warms up a bit with some sunny spells. Highs nearer 22 Celsius with the wind from the southwest. There could be further rain on Tuesday, though it might miss us. Sunny spells again on Wednesday, and it really stays unsettled through the rest of the week as well. Overnight temperatures in their early teens. The wind's mostly from the west this week. The hourly forecasts, as ever, will keep a check on just how unsettled this week is going to be. For now, that's the forecast. Next week, we discuss no-till farming. We get a Canadian's view on it. So at home in Canada today, like I said, I've been no-tilling for quite a few years. We're using an intensive cover crop routine with our no-tilling practices. So we use about 18 species planted simultaneously after wheat harvest to remediate the soil, build up soil organic uh, nitrogen to reduce our dependency on fossil fuels, synthetic fertilizer, and also just to make sure that we have better increased water infiltration and today with all of this rain that's fallen here recently you can see how that is such a a powerful ally as we try to grow our crops. More from him next week at the usual time. Until then, have a good week, especially with the harvest.